0: So, uh, my name's Tim, this is, uh, I got married in April, so just a bit about me, Uh, this is my beautiful wife, as you can see I'm punching beyond belief, Um, we both grew up on the south coast between Portsmouth and Southampton, Uh, we lived there all our lives, our in-laws, my in-laws and my parents live a mile apart, which makes Christmas very easy, Um, and now uh, my wife's a junior doctor and she works in Chesterfield Hospital, so we're on the edge of the Peak District and that's where we've come, so annoyingly I've driven all the way down south to drop her off at a birthday and spend a bit of time, and then I've come all the way to Norfolk, and then I've got to go all the way across to Birmingham to get someone else, and then back. So it's good, but it's worth it, because you guys are lovely, so it's great. So that's me, believe it or not. Marriage happened, as you can see, and um, bad thing. There we go. So Forum UK, just a bit of explaining, because our website's changed a little bit. Forum UK uh, is a Dutch charity. started up, and it was started by... A a pastor's wife, actually, who challenged her husband on what are you going to do with the men in your church, and what has come out of that is the Extreme Character Challenge. So it started in Holland. We're in 16 countries around the world now, which is pretty cool, uh, and growing, which is awesome. And the main thing that Four UK does, especially in the UK, is the Extreme Character Challenge, which is why we've rebranded to that because it makes it easier. Which is a 72-hour. Uh, adventure in the wilderness for guys, um, and there's also a rise which is coming out soon, which is coming soon, which is for ladies, which is a similar sort of principle. So, it's not all it's not all just for blokes. So, do don't switch off, ladies, please. So, mind, body, and soul—that's our tagline for xccs ex- We say it is a mind, body, soul adventure, or an MOT for a bloke is the easiest way to describe it for most people, which is great. Um, so we'll start with just a little bit about the manly stuff. So can anybody, has anyone got a good story about what is the manliest thing you've ever done? Anyone brave enough? Can anyone come and tell me? Yes. Getting married. <laughs> manliest thing. Absolutely. Anything else? Anything else? Good. Any, any stereotypical manly events happen by anyone? Oh, Yes. Nah, uh, Inca Trail, that's a big, long trail. That's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Kilimanjaro could be a good manly thing, although plenty of ladies have done that, and a lot of them faster than most blokes, so <laughs> which, is, which is good to hear. Um, what's the least man? Anyone brave enough to say what the least manly thing they've ever done is? It's quite hard to say, isn't it? Any ideas, anyone... To be a bridesmaid. Help dressing at your own wedding. Right, okay, yeah, I'll give you that one, Steve. You've won. Uh, (laughs) But what does it mean to be a man? And that's a really difficult question to answer. Like, especially in our society at the moment, masculinity is getting a little bit thrown around at the moment, and no one's really sure what does it actually mean to be a man, especially what does it mean to be a godly man or a spiritual-filled man. And that's quite hard. But we kind of need an answer, just a bit like, if you're going on a journey, you need to know where your destination is. You need to have an idea at the end. You don't just get in the car. I mean, some people, you just get in and you work it out as you go. But most of the time, you get in and you're finding that destination. You need to find where you're going and what you're doing. But just a couple of little interesting things at the moment, which is why it's important, especially for the ladies, because currently in the UK church, the stats look a little bit like this. So 66% of the churchgoers are women. Uh, so we're well down, and just looking at that at face value it doesn't really mean much, but when you start thinking when you have children and you've got daughters and there's not enough Christian men for your daughters to marry, that then becomes an issue. You're in, you're in a bit of a trouble there. One in ten uh, children have no father figure at all, so in America, that's some say as high as one in four have zero fatherhood figure in their life which is quite scary. Men are three times more likely to commit suicide. Biggest killer of men under 45. And uh, women's suicide rate is higher for attempted suicide by quite a bit, but men usually are far more uh, aggressive or more ruthless in their (coughs) aspect, hence it's three times higher. So this is why we need to, you know, work out this challenge and kind of work out what's going on. Um, So to start with, our mind. It's a nice little picture there. Um, Our mind. And I don't know if anyone's ever seen the Mark Gungor's jokey sketch about a man's brain and a woman's brain. Has anyone seen that? And basically what he says is, is, uh, it's slightly slapstick, so bear with me, that uh, a man's brain is built in boxes. We've got a box for everything. There's a box for work, there's a box for family, there's a box for this, there's a box for that, which is why um, men can go into the nothing box where you ask him what he's thinking, and it's nothing. Which, which a lot of people struggle to understand. Um, whereas he says that a ladies' box is also built with boxes, but they're all connected. Everything's connected, which is why multitasking's easier, and pulling things together is easier, um, why, why emotion awfully is... Women are much better with emotion than guys are. Guys just go to a box, and then we put our emotion back in the box, and then go to our next box. Which maybe is not the best idea of doing, anyway. it? doing it. And our biggest, one of our biggest box, I think, for blokes, which we struggle with, is our plans box. Especially blokes, and I mean, there's definitely some ladies, I'm sure, here, but we love a plan. We love to be in control. We like to know exactly what's happening all the time, and what we're going to do about it. Uh, Oh, I've lost myself. I've lost myself. (laughs) I don't know if any of you uh, you guys do it, but I... When I was youngest particularly, I used to walk down the street and I would I would create plans or or things in my mind for things that haven't happened that could happen. So if a man jumped out behind that hedge with a chainsaw, got a plan. Anyone do silly things like that? Raise your hands. I've, yeah, most of the other guys, you make plans for silly things. If you know, if I'm walking to school and uh, what would I do if a police car came past really, really fast? what would my excuse be to why I was late to school because I was looking at what was going on over there? Or if somebody got mugged, right, what's my action plan? How am I going to take him out? What am I going to do? Karate chops. I'd work it out. It's, and it's just this process of like building these plans for theoretical things that are pretty unlikely to ever happen. And I, I can prove this uh, incredible planning with a friend of mine called Martin. Uh, his name's Martin Yendel. He's a, he's a GP. He stands about six foot eight. So he's a big... He's a big guy, uh, middle class, very very well-to-do gentleman. Um, and he made a plan once for if he had ever get mugged. And he was living currently, I can't remember where he was living, but he was living somewhere. And on the edge of town was a, um, a mental health secure unit. And his plan was, if he ever got mugged, is that he would act like an inmate or a patient from this mental health unit. And, and that's how he would get out. And lo and behold, he takes 50 quid out of a cash point turns around, and the guy's there with a the knife. And action plan kicked in. All 6 for 8 middle-class doctor goes absolutely ballistic, swinging his arms in the air, yelling and screaming, and the attacker run off. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it worked. So I mean, fair, fair play. But uh, I think with this compulsive planning, we end up, we, we really like that control. And we don't like things that are out of our control. And we like things comfortable. Our society in general is getting very comfortable. Everything is about ease and making things as easy as possible. Um, But we've always got a plan. Does anyone know what this is called? On Amazon, you can buy. Any ideas? Jim's got it. This is a bug-out bag. Does anyone own a bug-out bag? Oh, very good, very good. It's supposedly that most Americans own a bug out bag, and a bug out bag is essentially a bag that you grab in a zombie apocalypse or some sort of terrible catastrophe that has everything you'd ever need in it to survive for a couple of weeks. <coughs> these, there's quite a few of these online if you look <laughs> to go and buy one. You can get a lot of bug out bags, and there's pages and web pages, to, you know, totally dedicated to what you should have in your bug out bag and what you shouldn't have in your bug out bag. And many videos about what's going on. But we we really like things comfortable, don't we? And I mean you can see that because we as a culture we stockpile food. Like I don't know how long if if you couldn't buy any more food, how long would you last on your tins and your cupboard alone? And who's got a John West tuna from nineteen ninety-six? <laughs> Someone's still got it, for sure. But we, we stockpile in it really far in advance. Anyone mentions the word fuel shortage? queues for miles outside every petrol station and, and now there's a sign that says exactly how much you can take in jerry cans isn't there, has everyone seen that? You can get one 10 litre and two fives uh, you'd never need that if everyone wasn't going right I'm going to prepare myself for any fuel shortage I will get as the maximum amount of fuel I could ever imagine but we like it in control this thing, who's got one of these if you've got one of these grab it, grab it out hold it up ooh scary Uh, If you can unlock it for me. And then pass it to the person next to you. There we go. Maybe the separation anxiety is slowing down. But instantly, that makes everyone go, ooh, really? Because it's like, this is our entire control. This is our life, isn't it? It's got all our contacts. It's got our details in it. It's got everything we'd ever need, photos of things, um, everything we've ever looked at, all those silly YouTube videos you've watched while you're trying to fall asleep everything's in here. And as soon as you give that to somebody else, everyone goes, there's a little bit of you. And then it comes down, but there's a bit of you. It's, oh, goodness. Surprisingly, the younger the generation that I'd say that to, the more impact that has, including a couple of people refusing to pass their phone across. Um, but you can, you can have your phone back well. But I mean, uh, quite a lot of that, they're reckoning, is linking to mental health. Mental health in the UK is pretty bad, as you see from the figures in the UK at the moment. And a lot of that is because our, we're getting that instant gratification. You can look up anything on your phone, and you've got the answer within seconds. You, if you're hungry, you don't have to go and chase a deer down. And you your gym. You might do. But you, don't have to, you can just ring a number, and in 15 minutes, you've got food there. And most of our society, for thousands and thousands of years, that's never been the case. You've never had that much ease. To just get normal things in life. When, when we got married, um, we moved to Chesterfield, we had absolutely nothing really in our house, we had the odd few things, and our entire lounge was completely empty, um, except a couple of Aldi cardboard boxes that I collect food in, because I don't like plastic bags, so I wander around with a big box and fill it. So we had a couple of those, which was great for a dining table for uh, three weeks, um, and we spent a lot of time in, uh, there's an Ashgate hospice near us that does a big charity for furniture, and you can buy you know, wardrobes and sofas and everything. And we looked around, and we couldn't find anything we liked until we came across this. This is an ornate antique writing desk with a, with a leather pad and lovely drawers, and as you drop down the thing, the slides come out in it. and it. And it's very nice, isn't it? I, I mean, I, re, I sanded it all down, I tanned it and did all the work, so you can tell me it's nice, because I know it's nice, nice. But that was the only thing in our lounge for three weeks. Did we, I, I don't think we needed a writing desk. I don't think it will ever benefit us, really, other than it looks nice and it makes me just feel feel good. It makes me feel good when I look at it. But what, why do I need it? Is this something that I'm just trying to, you know, in my mind, just trying to elevate my house to this sort of middle class life that I've, I, I aspire to? That I want to have a writing desk and I want to have a, a roundabout in the front of my drive where I could drive round, or a line of trees down the side of my. Why do I? why do I do this? But it's one of those things that, ooh going a bit far now. Oh, I've already done a page, look at that. Sorry, I've only got 10 pages to get, I'm joking. Um, but what we're doing with our kind of minds and our process doesn't seem to be working. We, we, we do need some help at the moment. I mean, mental health is massively on the rise, and I think a lot of that is we're making everything comfortable. Everything's really comfortable, and we, we get in our nice little bubble, and we're sitting there. And, and don't get me wrong, there's so much huge potential, that's the thing about our minds, is all the things we've done in the past. Anyone know what this is, a picture of? First flight, this is the first powered flight. 1903, humankind flew the first aeroplane um, for the first time off the ground for 12 seconds and went 120 feet. 66 years later, anyone know? Moon landing. 66 years from kind of gaining some flight to being able to go to the moon and back. Absolutely astounding, absolutely incredible. The phone that you just got out of your pocket can search any question, pretty much, in under 10 seconds. Phenomenal. And they also say that there's more technological data in that phone than all the computers involved in the moon landing. Which is, somebody's built that, somebody's made that. What incredible mind power. And I mean maybe it's not all doom and gloom because there are some facts that seem to be stating that we're doing better. The current generation is slapstick named Generation Sensible. Believe it or not, I know it's a bit of a shock. I'm seeing faces of, really? But Generation Sensible, currently, in the last 15 years, Children are drinking less, taking drugs less, smoking less, there's teenage pregnancies down, and getting arrested is less. So maybe, maybe we are, we're, we're doing good. But when you think about those challenge, those, uh, those incredible feats, all of them involve someone challenging themselves, pushing out of the box. I mean, you've got to be absolutely nutty to get in a plane that you and your mate have made just to try and have a fly. Like That is absolutely... But it, it's taking out of that comfort zone, and you're going somewhere that gives you a challenge and it leads to something else. Uh, so, body. Body's a really good one. Um, we've considered our, the, our health in our mind, so now we need to look at our body. As you can see, I'm not very good with the health of my body. Believe it or not, I can park run in 24 minutes. Just, just saying. so That's good. It's okay. It's not the end. But I remember when I was, a, when I was young, we, uh, we went with the church and we went out into the local town and we asked lots of people, what, uh, what was the most important thing to you in life? And God came up a lot, family came up a lot, but can anyone tell me what, what else? What was another big one? Good health. And I would say probably everybody we asked, over, over the age of 50 in particular, when you've lived a little bit and you know what's going on, nearly all of them said their health. Their health was that important. And I mean, it's quite easy. You, um, you really only realize it when it's gone, I think, most people. You don't really know. And I'm, I'm massively active. I'm a kind of mountaineer and a climbing instructor by sort of trade. Um, so not long ago in October, oh no, September, I uh, took the in-laws out climbing. This is my mother-in-law abseiling down a, a cliff face. She was absolutely bomber, smashed it. It was my father-in-law that was there quivering, holding the rope, saying, am I okay? Am I okay? Believe it or not. But on this very day, uh, they wanted me to see some climbing. So I climbed this crack just in, in, in trainers, which is, is fine. and It's normal. And basically, if anyone's ever done climbing, crack climbing, you ram your foot in sideways, basically, and then you turn your foot. And then that's how you get the, the grip. So that's the widening of the foot. And then you can push down. So one after the other, foot in turn, foot in turn. So, I mean, it's all good. Yet... Not all is over. running around and abseiling and climbing and doing all this stuff is really good on a, on a, um, on a I think it was a Saturday it was a Saturday. And then we went for the classic Sunday afternoon stroll, and uh, this fatefully happened, which i don 't know you can quite see it, but in the back, can you see there's two little rocks in the background? Um, there's a flat platform, and then a little rock, which is only about this high. I stepped off that rock, and uh, if you're squeamish, turn your eyes. this was my ankle afterwards. And I mean, I've got very strong ankles, I climb in the mountains, I usually hike around in trainers, no problem. Um, climbing in trainers, running around, I did my mountain leader assessment, mostly in fell running shoes, to then step off a rock on a Sunday afternoon walk and rip a ligament. I mean, pride is probably the biggest thing that went there. Um, but I was gutted, like absolutely gutted. When Especially when my brother-in-law's a physio, yeah. and he told me that once you've ripped a ligament, it never grows back. Like, you never get it completely back. You just build all the muscles around it. And I felt like I lost a leg. I was like, what? What do you mean it doesn't grow back? Can I, like, can I not just massage it and it'll grow back? But you don't appreciate it until it's gone. Until you know you can't now. I can't run and I can't climb for three, four months. It's absolutely gutting. And, I mean, I think it probably makes it worse when you realise the actual potential our body has. And I've looked into this quite a lot recently, and uh, it's phenomenal what our potential our body has. And for a little bit of a laugh, does anyone know why Hlander Wells is famous? Any ideas? Believe it or not, this is the, uh, the home to the world's first human versus horse marathon. Yeah, yeah, that is the... Oh, I've gone, oh, I did, the, I did the thing you told me about. There we go, <laughs> I did the splicky, there we go. <laughs> this is the, uh, so this is the human versus horse marathon. Um, they run an annual event which started in 1980. The local landlord, Gordon Green, overheard a discussion between two men in a pub, one suggesting that over a significant distance, a, uh, a man could, uh, would be equal to any horse. Green decided that this challenge is good enough to test, and in full public view, organized the first event. This race is slightly shorter, it's 22 miles, um, however much harder terrain than the normal marathon, uh, and around 500 runners and 40 horses race each year. I mean, quite obviously, you'll be surprised to know that the horse wins (laughs) most of the time. So, in two cases, 2004 and 2007, in particularly extreme uh, hot weather, humankind, mankind, took home the trophy for the first and second time against a horse, which is quite impressive. Um, I believe, I, I think the money pot goes up by 500 pounds every year. So by the time he got it, it was in the 25,000 pounds or something, which is phenomenal. But experts reckon that over a more continued longer distance, humans would win more and more and more, especially if the weather's hot. Um, the book Born to Run, I don't know if anyone's read the book Born to Run, is about kind of barefoot running and this sort of thing, and they reckon in that that um, humankind has the highest potential endurance of any land mammal on the planet that we can run. Our, our, our body is built in a way that um, we can regulate heat and we can sweat better than any other animal. And we can just keep running and keep running and keep running. And you see it in cultures. In the book he goes to some tribes and things where you you would chase after your 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 dinner. You chase after a gazelle, and you just keep chasing it. And when it stops to try and pan, you just keep chasing it, and you keep chasing it. And thirty miles down the line, it drops dead, and you take it home for your for your family. So compared to fifteen minutes pizza delivery at the door, or thirty mile run, it's quite it's quite different. We've definitely changed a lot. Um, and I mean, it's what I've, what. I've, a potential that we have that we don't particularly utilize. I mean, I, do a, I did a park run yesterday and felt really good. 5K compared to running that incredible distance. Um, but yeah, so if you haven't learned anything today, you've now learned that you're, you sweat really well. Really proficient sweaters. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty fit. Um, but I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm fed up of kind of being fit and fat at the same time. So we've got to try and change it, and we've got to try and find inspiration. And this guy's my inspiration. This guy's name uh, is Laurie Brokenshire, and he was a Commodore in the Navy, um, and probably one of the wisest people I've ever met. He, uh, he was a member of Mensa. He was, I think, the 43rd member of Mensa. Um, he was also in the Magic Circle and the Inner Magic Circle. He was part of the UK Cold Water Swimming Team, a NATO chess champion, and, but absolutely... Humble as anything. Absolutely incredible guy. Him and his wife have cycled nearly every continent on the world across. For their 60th uh, birthdays, they cycled Alaska to Washington, D.C., which is, you know, some small 3,500 miles. Um, they've managed to foster 70 plus kids and refugees over the last 20 years. Um, and this man, unfortunately, contracted. Uh, brain cancer, uh, not, not too long ago, in uh, 2016, um, and his entire family, as part of that, decided to embark on a 30-mile charity swim, and managed to raise £45,000 in about three weeks for brain cancer charities around the UK. What an inspiration. Laurie passed away in 2017, um, but I mean, his family's still doing incredible things. His, his son is in Rwanda doing missionary work, and he's just set up this 1,000-mile bike ride round Rwanda, which, if you know Rwanda, it's incredibly hilly, and it's incredibly hot, um, but a charity cycle ride that people are coming all around the world to do. And I spoke to his wife, uh, Laurie, not, Laurie's wife, Ethel, not long ago, um, in church, and uh, she was telling me about this, and it was really good, and I was like, I jokingly said, you know, she's 65, bear in mind, and I said, oh, are you going to gonna have a go at the 1,000-mile cycle ride? And she laughed all and said, no, don't be silly. I'm not going to have a go at that. I'm just going to do the 600-mile one instead. Absolutely incredible. What a family. What an incredible, incredible family. But what makes, what makes you inspired, I guess, to you know, take up a challenge or step outside your comfort zone. That's one of the biggest things. You need to work out what, are, what is it that's going to get you to get out and try and push yourself and try and develop new things. And we, we know that our mind needs something and we now know our body needs something, but what about our soul itself? And that's the mind-body-soul. I don't know if you ever stood on top of a mountain like that picture and you look at the view or you watch the sunrise and you can feel something inside. Does anyone get that? You just feel that, that kind of feeling. And I don't know personally from myself, but I know most people who have children here will probably tell you when your child is born, you get that. There's something in you that that being is the most precious thing to you in the world. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Even though it's actually blue and looks like a bit like a goblin. And it's not really, it looks the prettiest. But that thing is the most important thing to you you could ever imagine. But there's something in our soul um, and, and I mean, sometimes you feel pain. I don't know if anyone's ever felt, have you ever felt your heart ache, Your inner being, it's not just your mind, it's your actual heartache. And I remember watching a video about a guy called Zach Sobiech who um, had osteosarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer. And I remember watching the video about him and his story, of a Christian family in America. And I remember my heart just aching. I remember going to bed and I was like, this hurts, like actually hurts. Like my very being is in, in turmoil at the moment because I've just watched something that's too much and I mean, we've got to look after our soul, haven't we? And a lot of it is to do with, it's a bit like a tree, I think, a little bit like a beautiful tree. You don't find beautiful trees and beautiful fruit growing in places like the desert and in places like the edge of a mountain. It's what what are you surrounding yourself with? What are you surrounding your life with? Are you surrounding it with people? Are you surrounding it with <coughs> uh, more material things? Are you surrounding it with um, not good music or et cetera, et cetera? And... Um, I remember talking, I used to work in a care home for all boys, which if anyone uh, has ever worked in a care home, you know that is the, it's like World War III in any care home, and bullets flying over the head would probably be a blessing rather than bottles and knives and all sorts. <laughs> but uh, I was chatting to a guy there who had done his PhD in mental health and why mental health in the third world seemed much better than in the first world. So why in rural villages in Africa, why they didn't seem to have any, this form of mental health, whereas the western world we seem to be really struggling. And his number one reason was the breakdown of community. The breakdown of community was the number one reason that why that, followed by materialism. That we we are designed to live in groups of small hundred and you're designed to come home and you eat with people and you spend time with people and you never come home to an empty house. You've got a whole community around you. Whereas our society seems to have got stuck in this way that we, we're going to get married and you then have your little bubble and you have your family and you have your house and that's it. And you might invite someone around for Sunday lunch and that might be you might feel really good. But that's not how we were designed. That's not how they lived uh, in the Bible or in history. That's just no one really lived like that. And now we're pushing towards that. And we're starting to see more trouble. I think quite often you that, that whole model of, kind of having your own house and you and having stuff and that materialism. Quite, I've just realised there's people up there. Hi, goodness me, that's exciting. <laughs> um, you, we, we view quite a lot of time. Society tells us that stuff is our freedom. That if we get a new faster car, that's our freedom. It means I can go out and do stuff. If I get a new motorbike, I can go. If I get a jet ski, it's going to give me freedom. The bigger house I have, the more free I am, the more stuff I have, the better it's going to be. And that society tells us that, and not everyone believes that. And I'm sure most of us know that money doesn't equal happiness, or stuff doesn't equal happiness, or being better for our soul. But we still get stuck, and a lot of people do get stuck in, in stuff. We have stuff. I bought a writing desk that I don't need. I have bought stuff. And anyone heard of uh, Bruce Parry? Oh, I was talking to Jim earlier. He's a bit like Ben Fogel, and he goes out to um, see these guys in uh, the top of Siberia, and they're reindeer farmers, and they live on the ice for about 10 months of the year, and then they come back to the abattoir, and they slaughter some of the animals, and then they stay there for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then they go back out on the ice, and they go and move, and they literally follow the herd around anywhere they go. And there's a guy in the middle there who's there, sort of like the chief of the tribe, and he comes back, Bruce Barry comes back and stays with him for a couple of days in his house. And he has a house in one of the topest northern cities in, in Russia. He's got a house, he's got a TV, he's got heating, um, he's got a cooker, he's got all the sort of things you need. And he asked him, why don't, why don't you just stay here? Why would you want to go out there? And his response was that this was his prison. That the four walls made him feel trapped. And this stuff was rooting him here and when he's on the ice, he can go wherever he likes, he can move around and and flow, and that this house was the thing that was restricting his freedom, restricting his very soul, and I I mean, that's not, you know, I'm not saying that we're all trapped and we can't get out of our soul because we're stuck in our house, but that really made me think that maybe I'm viewing things not quite the right way, maybe I'm viewing things backwards, that maybe stuff isn't what getting more stuff and getting, I mean, I've got more mountain equipment than you can imagine. It is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, and I just collect things and see people, and I go to charity shops, and I'm like, oh, I'll have this, and all sorts, but I, in my heart, I'm like, oh, that's, that's getting me, I've got more stuff, and I can go in the mountains, and you know, now I've got ice axes and crampons, I can go out when it snows, and now I've got this, I'm, I'm ready, but actually, maybe that's more stuff that I'm just accumulating and, and trapping myself with more than more than I really should. But I th- we definitely know that loneliness can ch- really damage our soul, and we know that val- valuing stuff can do damage to our soul. So we've got to work out how to protect it. And some people maybe go a little bit far. There's a guy called uh, Murray who comes on our um, events. Uh, he's a huge guy, absolutely loving, but he has, he's got four children, um, and he has no non, uh, non-Christian music in his house. There's no non Christian music ever that plays in that. It's always worship music. Maybe too far, but I mean, him looking out for the souls and the protection of his children, I can massively respect. I've got some other friends in Scotland, and I remember someone showing, um, trying to show them the Doc Brown tea rap. Has anyone ever seen that? He raps about tea. So, you know, it's something that he's very passionate about, about how to make the perfect cup of tea. Um, and it's got some swearing in it. And within 30 seconds, they said, oh, no, I, I, I don't want to listen to that. Because it had swearing in. Again, maybe maybe too extreme, but massive respect for someone who would just push that aside because they know that it's not good for their soul. Oh, I did the thing again, didn't I? Sorry. Sorry. Um, But I don't know, I don't know what, what, what do we surround. I know that if I surround myself with people that swear a lot, I start swearing. I know that if I wanna watch the latest episode of Game of Thrones, it's probably not good for me. So what are you gonna surround yourself with makes a massive key. And our final thing is that adventure, and that's where we come from, that adventure is something that can really help our mind, our body, and our soul. And coming out of that control, coming out of that sort of place of comfort, this is something that we can really, really help us. Oxford Dictionary, if you can read that, says that um, adventure is an unusual, exciting, or dangerous experience, journey, or series of events. Slightly different from what I read last time, but there we go. Um, but it's about that uncertainty. It's about not having always that control and being able to you develop those skills, and you see that through if you look at schools or uh, the Princess Trust programs or mental health charities. A lot of the time, they go outside and they go and have an adventure, and that's good for us. That's really good for us that we can have that adventure. We can go outside, and we need that, and we need that sort of element of wilderness. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness. Oh, I did the thing again, sorry, <laughs> often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. The Israelites stuck in the wilderness for forty years, trying to work out, trying to work out what they're supposed to do. God put them there for forty years to teach them the lessons we need to know. And I mean, our event's only three days, so you, no complaining there. But we—I mean, it is, it is hard, and it's what—what can we do about it? And I'm not going to give you all the answers to what you can do about it. But I hope that you maybe feel a little bit challenged to go and think about what can you do to improve your mind, improve your body, and improve your soul.